Hi everyone. This month, the data protection regulations came into force, and there is no better person, or I can't think of a single person in this uh, Kenyan jurisdiction, better place to discuss with us the data protection regulations, what they mean for us, than my own partner, Shem Otango. Shem, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks so for I'm having really me. excited to have you here. I'm excited that you Happy are. to be here. Yeah. You are. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. It has been a while since yeah. you were on the first podcast. First podcast, um, I think I may have been on another one as well with Ife. Oh, Google. yeah. Very briefly, though. Oh, I didn't yeah. contribute so you too have, much. You have contributed way, a lot yeah. to the podcast, so thank you so much. No worries. Um, so Shem is our tech partner. What do you call yourself? Is it tech? So we, uh, I oversee the TMT department, but yeah. mostly IP and data protection. Mm-hmm. Um, together with um, yourself, of course, you do the corporate deals in TMT and, and you know, our partners in South Africa yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so really, you're the expert on this subject, and I think it's important for us to understand the context. First of all, why is data protection something that people are talking about? Why is it important in, in this day and age? Well, uh, that's a good question. It's really where everything begins. Yeah. Um, data protection is premised on a fundamental right and freedom um, under the Constitution. Yeah. A human right, so to speak, um, the right to privacy. Um, traditionally, the right to privacy in Kenya under the old constitution did not go beyond um, the right to, you know, not having one's property searched. So it didn't go as far as speaking to your individual rights um, to privacy as as a natural person. Right? Yeah. So it only spoke of your property, and it was very, it was it wasn't as broad as what we have now. So with a, um, with the adoption of the promulgation of the current constitution in 2010, a more broad and purposive um, provision came into into force a very wide um, provision that says the right to privacy includes so it it doesn't just um, set out what the right to privacy is it just it says this is a broad right and it includes the following it may have a lot more yeah um, and one of the one of the items cited there is the right not to have the privacy of one's communications infringed um, or the right to you know privacy of one's you know um, family affairs and all that. So the Data Protection Act was passed to give life to that constitutional right. Yeah. Now, you're well aware constitutional rights have a, a heavier sort of um, weight in, in law. In terms of infringement. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and really, just in terms of you know, the hierarchy of laws, right? So it's, it's the basis. It's what, I don't want to use Latin terms, but grown norm. In Kelsinian dicta, I love it. As my <laughs> former constitutional law professor used to say, yeah. me guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a constitutional issue. It's not just a statutory issue. It's, it's your personal human right. It's, a, yeah. it's your fundamental right under the constitution to have certain pieces of information about you um, treated in a particular way that respects your right to privacy. And aside from that, um, because of the digital world that we live in today. Um, if certain kinds of information fall into the wrong hands, a lot of harm could um, could actually occur, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. If your financial information uh, fell into the wrong hands, um, a lot of economic damage mm-hmm. could be visited upon you. If um, certain login details or access to your emails um, was obtained by unauthorized persons, they could communicate on your behalf without your knowledge. Yeah. All manner of things could happen that actually prejudice you to no small degree. Yeah. So it's important that certain kinds of information be treated with um, 
uh, a certain kind of protection which is not a subject of regulation. Yeah. Yeah. So to my mind, that's why this area of law is very important. So, so I think most people will say that um, it has emanated from a European or US concept of data privacy. I mean, even the word is, is not is not a fundamentally where you word that's used in an African context. What is data? Right. You know, um, it's very, it's very, it's very um, of the digital age. That's what I mean. I mean, you're right. You're right. It's not a, a historically African legal concept. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay, our legal systems are borrowed anyways from, from Europe. Um, but even um, post-independence up until, you know, 2010, these concepts are not really known to us yeah. or, or codified within our... But they were also not known to, to, to Europeans or even in the in the States. I mean, the GDPR only came into force, isn't, isn't it, in 2010? In tw- 2018 um, is when it was implemented. Worse than that, later but than that. Then. there was a directive before then. Yeah. Um, so it was just a development of existing um, rights and, and, and regulations in these jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. I mean, the US um, is still in the process, I believe, of trying to get an overarching law. Yeah. So different states are mm-hmm. legislating on, on this subject as we speak. So Europe basically has been um, on the cutting edge, so to speak, or the leader in terms of the development of, of privacy regulations. Yeah. And and I guess the GDPR is considered the quote-unquote gold standard just yeah. because of how comprehensive it is. Um, and I mean, how, it's a huge document. It is, it is a huge document. It's very comprehensive. And no, no wonder a lot of jurisdictions across the world are borrowing mm-hmm. from, from its provisions and looking at it as um, the best practice, mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. from international perspective. So, so I guess my question in that context is, since Europe has, has only recently enacted the GDPR, um, we have now gotten our own act in Kenya. Um, Africa, I don't, I don't know, but you will, you will give us that information. Mm-hmm. Is it necessarily necessary in this jurisdiction yet have we come to the stage where it's something that is required to be protected even though you as you say it's a constitutional right i think i think it's overdue Mm -hmm. um this sort of um regulation is overdue because as you're well aware um the whole world is beginning to leverage not beginning or has been leveraging on technology and the digital world you know to advance literally every area of 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 um human life to be to be fair government operations are being digitized the world over including here private entities are leveraging more and more on technology to to sort of give a competitive edge to their businesses you can't really operate outside of the digital space anymore and be competitive or relevant regardless of whether you're in the private or public sector um, people want service delivery to be at their fingertips so with the increased reliance on technology and, and digital infrastructure and such frameworks, it's important for us to have uh, these sorts of laws. Yeah. It's critical to have this infrastructure in place to support um, the sort of tools for public service delivery and, and commerce and public and a private sector enterprise. Yeah. Um, and just instills confidence in the public, to be fair. Okay, so let's talk about um, Africa. And ha- have they have other countries in in Africa enacted their own um, data protection regulation? How far behind are we, or how advanced are we in terms of that? Um, it's been happening quite a bit. Not all African countries, but you know, I haven't counted. But I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if upwards of half mm-hmm. of, of African countries do have some form of legislation. Um, in the data protection space, Mauritius, South Africa, um, Uganda, Nigeria, 
yeah. Ghana and the like, mm. and Kenya, of course. So, um, this sort of legislation started happening around about, I'd say, 2012, when, for example, Ghana had. Twenty twelve is is ahead of time, right? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. but I mean, the conversation was happening. Remember, yeah. we had a provision on privacy in the constitution in twenty ten. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. So twenty twelve, Ghana, you know, uh, enacted their law. At in twenty thirteen, South Africa okay. um, adopted Popia, but had a very long grace period, um, which I think was good to sort of give guys the opportunity to familiarize themselves with the law and acclimatize. I, I'm not sure how well you know players in that country, you know. Um, you know, worked on their you know, preparedness for the commencement date. But um, it, it came into force, I believe, in 2021 or 2020, one of the two. Um, I forget exactly which one. I think 2020, I'm not sure. But um, they had a long grace period, that's the point. Um, then, of course, now then came countries in East Africa, such as ourselves in 2019, and Uganda as well. Tanzania, to my knowledge, yeah. does not have a law yet. Mm-hmm. So it's still an ongoing process um, in a lot of these countries. Uh, but there's been seriousness about implementing the law. Um, the South African regulator, uh, for example, has been very ha- active about you know, making sure this is a practical piece of legislation and not just something on paper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Uganda and Kenya as well have passed regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, Ghana has a regulator in place. They've had one for a while. I mean, it's, it's not a theoretical thing. And I think a lot of players, a lot of people are waking up and smelling the coffee and saying, hey, listen, this actually matters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so have we had examples in Kenya of data breaches, or have do we have jurisprudence already on on this topic ahead of the regulations? So, the data breaches happening everywhere, including as we speak in, in <laughs> Kenya. <laughs> I'm sure people are breaching data even right now somewhere. Um, but in terms of um, jurisprudence and decided case law in the High Court, you know that you know is reported. That is still coming out. The High Court has, of course, pronounced um, on various issues arising from the Data Protection Act um, in various contexts, primarily, you know, the Huduma Number context. Yeah. Um, uh, where the High Court, you know, gave a very interesting ruling, you know, giving retrospective effect to the Data Protection Act yeah. as far back as 2010. Yeah. Um, we wrote on that um, a while ago. And um, so that has been the context in which we've had litigation in court, mm-hmm. right? Um, but there have been claims and complaints lodged with the ODPC, um, the most prominent of which I recall um, sometime last year, um, where a leading you know, hotel franchise, local hotel franchise, yeah. actually it's a global one, but they've got a lo- local presence, um, had an incident where their guest register was leaked onto social media. Yeah. And, and you know, people whose names appeared um, on that register felt uncomfortable. I mean, it could be quite embarrassing, yeah. Exactly, because mm-hmm. now people know that I was at this hotel. And with someone or with whatever. <laughs> Those details didn't come out, but, you know, I mean, you don't you don't want people to know where you are. What, yeah. You know, um, I mean, certainly not the whole world, you know, which is exactly what happened because this was on social media. So lawyers were instructed, a complaint was lodged, and this was before the regulations came into um, into place, um, the general regulations and yeah. the protection mm-hmm. act. So, um not quite sure how that was processed because it's not a public um a process at least it wasn't at that time um and and you know no sanctions as far as i as i know you know um were visited upon the data controller in that context so there have been um scattered um complaints here and there uh, including yesterday, we saw one also yeah. on social media. That's what was an employer-employee situation. Right, an employer-employee context. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so just to sort of underscore the point I made earlier, there's lots of breach happening. Yeah. Awareness levels are fairly low. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of work needs to be done on that front. And we do a lot of that, including this podcast. Yes. Mm-hmm. On this podcast to try and you know sort of educate people on on the need to comply because the law applies. It's a cross-cutting piece of legislation. It's like a tax. Yeah. Um, uh, legislation or tax mm-hmm. law. It, mm-hmm. it cuts across all sectors. Okay. So let's do just that and educate the people. Right. So the regulations were enacted in January, so 14th of January. They were gazetted on 14th, yeah. Gazetted on the 14th of January with the effect that they would be in force or compliance would have to be in place by the 14th of July. Explain the confusion with that and why it is that there's a requirement to comply now um, as opposed to a deadline that was set on the 14th. Right. So, uh, well, there was, just to be very clear, there are three sets of regulations. Yeah. So we had the general regulations, then we had um, complaints, handling, and enforcement mechanisms, regulations, and yeah. then we had now the data protection, um, data controllers, and data processors registration. Okay. Um, so data controllers and data processors were meant That's to be registered exactly. by the 14th of July under the... Um, regulations. Right, right. So it was gazetted in January 14th yeah. with a six-month grace period. Okay. Right. So essentially, it's uh, the provision says that um, these regulations will come into force within six months from the date of their gazettement. Yeah. Um, so or come into effect. So the date of effect was two weeks ago uh, on 14th of, of um, July. July. So mm-hmm. the data commissioner um, launched the website and the infrastructure for this for submitting applications on the 14th. Okay. So no one could file an application. Okay. So no um, one could be registered prior to 14th of exactly. July. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the first application was submitted on that day. Mm-hmm. Um, credit to the data commissioner for setting up you know, a, a very good platform and having it up and running on the day um, when the regulations came into effect. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, one could argue that it may have been, you know, better to, you know, set up a platform so that people are registered. By the 14th. By the 14th. Okay. So that's, I think, where the confusion was. Could right. people be registered by the 14th or was it a deadline? Or right. were they just supposed to be starting the process of registration on the 14th? Yeah. And I think that's what it is now. Exactly. So it wasn't a deadline. It was a commencement date or a date of effect. And, you know, the data commissioner set up the okay. mechanisms and people submitted the applications right. as from two weeks ago. Um, okay. uh, so that's what happened. Yeah. Okay. So let's go into now the regulations themselves. The first right. thing that you talked about is complaints handling. So under the regulations, there's a process for handling a complaint for a breach of um, data protection legislation, correct? Right. So that's under the complaints regulation. So yeah, so there's a complaints Which, regulation yeah. dealing with compla- how complaints are handled. Yes. Then so forms and, and filings and all that. Correct. Yeah. Then the, what is the second one that you talked about? You said there are three. So there's the general regulations which mm-hmm. basically provide for everything from how to handle data protection impact assessments to how to go about um, making notifications to the registrar, to the commissioner, sorry, in instances of breach yeah. or, or personal data. And a raft of other things. So there's a general set of There's a general. So there's the complaints handling, the general, and now the registration of data controllers and data processors. Which are just... What are those? What are the... uh, What is a data controller and what is a data processor? So data controller... uh, Data controller is basically what the definition the act gives. Yeah. Is that this is a a person, right? Um, It could be a private person. It could be a corporate entity. It could be a public body, you know, that determines the means and purpose, right, for processing personal data. So if you come up with um, a project and you say, hey, listen, we're going to need to collect people's information for purposes of this project, 
um, and, and you define what the purpose is and you engage directly with the data subject and you ask them for data, you are the data controller, right? You determine, for example, you know, we're going to collect this through USSD codes or we're going to have a platform where people key in the information. You are the data controller. You determine the purpose and the means okay. for processing of this personal data. Yeah. Processing basically means handling yeah. the personal data. So a lot of people fall in that category, right? Um, and that's a data controller. Data processor is any entity then that processes personal data on behalf of the controller. Okay. So if, for example, you outsourced or you've contracted someone to store your personal data on your behalf, yeah. perhaps a, a data center that has got certain sorts of in infrastructure um, that uh, provides added levels of security, they would be a data processor. Okay. They are not in touch with the data subject. They didn't determine the purpose for which you collected this data, etc. Okay. So there's that distinction. So let's talk about a normal business right. um, in Nairobi, mid mid-sized business, fifty to hundred employees. Let's say in the manufacturing industry, mm -hmm. do they have to be registered as a data controller and a data processor? You're right. Um, that's the crux of it all, really, because um, the Act says any first of all prohibits any person from processing personal data. Um, uh, controllers rather than processors from processing personal data without first being registered okay. with the data commission. Okay. Then the regulations sort of now set the threshold okay. for who is exempt and who isn't. Okay. It's, it's very wide. Very few people are exempt. So you're only exempt if you've got less than 10 employees. Less than 10. Mm -hmm. And if your turnover revenue is less than 5 million shillings. Okay. Right? So lots of... So it's, a, it's an and, not an all. It's an and. So you've got to meet both criteria. Correct. Okay. In order to avail the exemption to yourself. Okay. Now there's a drafting error in the regulations that then disapplies the exemption. Okay. And therefore it means everyone on earth should register. <laughs> but it's a drafting error. Is it a drafting error that uh, they've acknowledged is a drafting error or not? No, no, no. I mean, no, I mean who will acknowledge really? You just leave it there until someone amends it. But the import of this is that out of an abundance of caution, the most lawyers, and, and understandably so, are advising all data controllers and data processors to register okay. with, the, with the commissioner. However, the commissioner's approach practically in the registration of controllers and processors gives effect to that exemption, okay. despite the existence of a provision disapplying the exemption. I mean... Yeah, I mean, don't say too much. Not great. Not comment about the drafting, okay. but, you know, these things happen. All right. It's Not a very great. big uh, gap, I would say, so they need to amend that. Okay, so now in terms of registration, what is the cost or impact to businesses? Is this something that people can um, can manage to to accommodate for in their budgets? Um, absolutely. Um, but before I get to that, let me just add on in terms of exemptions, um, a very important rider that um, this exemption would not apply to people who process personal data for certain purposes. Okay. Um, that are set out in the schedule to the, the regulations. So if in the banking business, for example, financial institutions, in the healthcare space, if you're in the gambling space, if you're in direct marketing, if you offer transportation services, or, you know, hailing app services and all that, you would need to register regardless of whether you meet the threshold for exemption. Because, I mean, those are specific categories exactly. of, of, so, of businesses. So yeah. people in those sectors, a number of which are regulated, mm -hmm. um, really just need to flat out. Right, um, um, comply. Comply mm -hmm. with okay. the registration requirements. So, but then on, on to your other point about, you know, you know, what sort of cost implication there is. I mean, the, the government fees range between uh, 4,000 Kenyan shillings 
to 40,000 Kenyan shillings um, for registration of either data processors or data controllers. And if you occupy both roles, you have to submit um, two separate applications, one okay. as a data processor and one as a data controller. So we're talking about a total of 80K? Yeah, that's on the higher end, okay. right? So um, between 4,000 4, and 40,000. Okay. And, and that may not be a prohibitive cost considering that the registration lasts for two years. Oh, it's a two-year registration. Right, it's a two-year mm -hmm. registration. Okay. Um, and it's scaled based on turnover number of employees, so they've considered the size of the organization. Um, certain bodies, like charitable, charitable bodies or um, not-for-profits and stuff like that, religious organizations, just pay 4,000 shillings, regardless okay. of what they're turnover. Okay. So um, they've, even, they've even considered the type of business that you're exactly, doing. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So they've tried to make this um, something that would not be a, a big burden to, to businesses. The idea is not to create more barriers to entry and, and, you know, and setting up and all that. Mm -hmm. we, we want the, our ease of doing business um, index rating to you know, be as high as it possibly could be. Yeah. So the idea is not to introduce bottlenecks mm -hmm. and unnecessary requirements. Mm -hmm. uh, they just, you know, drive up the cost of doing business. So currently we are doing applications and you know, we're doing applications for digital credit providers to get licensed. And that licensing <coughs> application is extremely complex, long, and <laughs> the requirements <laughs> are many. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> yeah, so what is it? Is, is, is that the same with here or is it much more simplified? Not at all, not mm -hmm. at all. Um, the process has been simplified, thankfully, yeah. because mm -hmm. this is a very wide, um, cross-cutting piece of legislation. We don't want to make it so onerous. Um, digital credit providers are, you know, specific to one sector, right? Yeah, they, banking. They are mm -hmm. the banking sector. They have mm -hmm. one regulator. Not everyone operates in that space. Yeah. This is a law that everyone has to comply with. You can't make it very, very complicated. So um, the process is, is online. I mean, um, there's an e-portal on the ODPC's website where you create an account. You fill in your basic details, name, address, contact details. Then you provide details regarding the number of employees that you have. You provide um, details regarding your turnover yeah. or revenues. You provide additional documents like mm -hmm. your audited financial statements. Um, and then more, most importantly, you then um, give a classification of the personal data that you handle. So you've got to set out all the personal data that you deal with and all the sensitive personal data that you deal with. Yeah. So this requires that you actually have an internal audit and just have a look at what you actually manage your process. What, what is sensitive um, data? So it's a category of personal data that's accorded a higher level of protection okay. because of its sensitive nature. And what so is that? Information regarding your spouse, your children, your property details, your sexual orientation, your health status. Yeah. Um, it's not like your name or email address. You know, um, you, you don't want people to know if you're suffering, say, from particular disease or things like those, or if you've got a particular condition. Not that there's any stigma around that, but it's more yeah. personal. It's well, more it's a considered uh, public stigma, whatever. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So um, for those sorts of um, um, personal data, sensitive personal data, added levels of protection, um, are provided and you, you, it's more restrictive. The requirements around the processing of such personal data, sensitive personal data is, is, is more, or those requirements are more restrictive. So you need to classify your data and, and supply that information to the, um, to the data commissioner. And then you also need to identify the risks to the personal data or sensitive personal data that you process, the identified risks. So it could be hacking, it could be phishing, it could be all sorts of things um, that could come to bear. Yeah, 
in yeah. the course of processing personal data. And in addition to that, you must also identify the technical and organizational measures that are in place yeah. to mitigate against that those risks. So um, at that point, or at that level, you might need to really sit down with your IT people and your systems people and make sure that you have a proper, solid submission. Yeah, um, yeah. Because mm. these applications can be refused. Okay. And, and obtaining registration from the ODPC, as you mentioned, is a prerequisite for obtaining certain operational licenses. And you don't want your main businesses, uh, your main business rather to be hindered because... Okay, so it is problem. tied to operational licenses that you're getting as well. For example, the digital the, the credit. Digi exactly. Yeah. So okay. you, if, mm -hmm. I mean, you, if you don't have, if you are an ODPC license, then you can't refused, get, then yeah. how, how would you then proceed? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, that interconnectivity, you know, gives added seriousness of gravity to this world. Gravity to it, correct, yeah. So so we now can say people can get registered or, you know, they will get registered eventually right. when, once um, their applications are considered. Mm -hmm. What practical effect will we see on a day-to-day -day basis interacting with businesses um, as to their protection of our data when, when it is processed or controlled by them? What will we see? Well, the whole point of this process is to give the, re the, the commissioner or the regulator visibility yeah. on people's operations with respect to personal data. The mere fact that you have someone watching over you and not just someone who's standing, you know, aloof or, you know, not really bothered about your being, but someone who's understanding, getting a practical understanding of what your security mechanisms are um, and someone who's approved them and given you a license. The mere fact that framework exists gives some incentive to all players to manage their personal data in a particular way yeah. at a particular mm -hmm. level standard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can be, I mean, there are lots of people I would say who already have these systems in place. Banks um, already have confidentiality obligations and security obligations, you know, under their own regulator and mm -hmm. they've been doing this. So the sectoral requirements for different sectors um, that have been implemented already, but now we're having a cross-cutting standard, a uniform standard that says this is the bar you can't operate below it, otherwise we will not license you. And if you if you proceed to process personal data without our registration, of course it's an offense. You know, 10 years, up to 10 years in prison, up to 3 million shillings um, in fines. So there's an added security by knowing that people now have a sense of accountability to a government regulator that is very switched on. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And a government regulator that is eager to demonstrate its value and what they're bringing to the yeah table. i mean it has been in the press and it has been Absolutely. you know published advertised um you know over a period of a year stakeholder engagement has been yeah. quite high and yeah. i mean the, the data commissioner has not been sitting back and just looking yeah you know what i mean she's been very very engaged yeah and that is something that i believe will incentivize stakeholders to up the levels um of security that they accord to the personal data yeah. that they process and so we can have that added confidence and it it gives um, confidence to foreign um, international um, um, players and stakeholders, multinationals in the digital space, you know, um, as far as Kenya is concerned, if you think of Kenya as a data center or a data hub, right, people would be inclined to set up data centers here and back up their data in Kenya yeah. mm -hmm. because there are adequate legislative frameworks and practical um, frameworks for ensuring security of personal data. Yeah, yeah. Under the mm -hmm. GDPR um, the transfer of personal data to foreign jurisdictions is, is regulated. And, you know, there are certain jurisdictions that certain supervising authorities um, in the European jurisdictions have 
given sort of an, an endorsement as um, jurisdictions that have met the adequacy threshold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. they they have laws in place and they have systems and infrastructures that gives European citizens the assurance that if our data is being transferred there, right, um, it's safe. Yeah. And this has been certified by the supervising authority. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if we want to position ourselves in East Africa and keep on singing and harping about how we're the you know, internet hub or technology hub in East Africa, we need to we ensure need to, that we need to not only do we have the technology, we have the laws to back mm-hmm. it up. What I was talking about is more um, businesses, you know, overtly seeking consent from um, the people that they're, you know, controlling data of or processing right. data of so that they so that people are aware of how their data is being used uh, on a right. day-to-day basis right i mean that, that that is an obligation that arose from the act itself yeah uh, even prior to the implementation or the coming into effect of these regulations yeah so the requirements to have uh, the requirement rather to have a, a, a legal ground a legal basis for processing personal data is one that arose in 2019 you need to either have consent or need to be processing personal data on the basis of necessity for certain reasons, you know, including um, performance of a contractual obligation or a legal obligation, you know, or entry into such a contract or, you know, legitimate interest, right? So it's either or. It's not a requirement to have both grounds, but you can have um, one or the other for purposes of processing uh, personal data. So Mm -hmm. it's not, consent is not a magic bullet, it's not a silver bullet or whatever it is. It's not a, a... you know, one trick solves everything kind of mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, prospect. It's it's an option. It's a good option to have, but it's one um, if you rely on consent as an as a basis for processing personal data, you need to be con- um, continually aware of the limitations. It can be withdrawn, for example. Correct. At which point mm-hmm. in time, you should not proceed. And you should know processing. how to withdraw it if consent is given, and then yeah, later I mean, think about it. Yeah. If your your business um, is relies on the fact that you handle you know the personal data of your customers so perhaps you are a digital lender and you have accounts you know for your customers and at half of and, and you rely purely on consent to process personal data and half of them say don't no, you no longer have my consent to yeah. do this mm-hmm. if that was the only ground you're relying on then your business sort of it comes to a halt correct but thankfully the law has other options you may be able to to carry out some of these um carry out some of these processing activities on the basis of other grounds. Or if as an employer, for example, your employee withdraws <laughs> their consent to your processing of their personal yeah. data. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have a legal obligation, for example, to keep a record mm-hmm. regarding their, their sex, their, you know, their name and all that, the details that should go into an employment yeah, so, contract. So, are the, so what are the grounds for um, claiming to, to, to need to process um, and control personal data? Apart, well, I mean, you've indicated necessity. Yeah, so the, the mm-hmm. necessity is broken down into a couple of oh, sub-categories. Okay. So All it's right. necessity, for example, for performing your obligations under a contract, yeah. performing legal obligations. From a public sector perspective, mm-hmm. if you're a public body and you're offering a public service, then you, you may rely on the yeah. necessity um, uh, of processing for you know dispensing that service to, mm-hmm. to people. Um, legitimate interest is something I mentioned before. Um, as a ground, it's borrowed from the from the GDPR as well, uh, and basically, if you, as a business operator, have an interest that is lawful, um, and for which processing of personal data is necessary, right? And lastly, um, if you, if the processing that is necessary to serve this legitimate interest is not one that would infringe on the rights and freedoms of the data subject, then. 
um, you may proceed to rely on the necessity for that legitimate interest. Okay. So no people rely on that. Yeah, so in yeah. case someone withdraws their consent, but you have a legitimate interest, right? It, it's, it's still in the course of yeah. the proper lawful functioning of your operations, then you may proceed on yeah. that basis. Yeah. But um, again, the focus, the right holder, the data subject, is the most important person. They need to be notified about everything. Yeah. There needs to be transparency in how you handle the, um, the personal data. Um, there can be no uh, lack of clarity, no gray areas. Proper notice has to be given for you to be able to rely on these grounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're now in, I guess, August 2022. Let's talk about August 2023. What do you expect to see that has changed in the space? What do you expect will be, um, you know, the culmination of the bringing into force of all of this regulation? Yeah. Um, and how will it impact on uh, on our companies, the companies that we work with? Um, and, and businesses in general. Right. Um, we, the approach we've taken towards um, enforcement in this space um, has been one that is more um, consultative and cooperative as opposed to wielding a big stick in instances of non-compliance. And I commend the Data Commissioner for that because, mm -hmm. like I said, the concept is new to a lot of people. So lots of stakeholder engagement, lots of training and awareness uh, initiatives yeah. are happening. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't foresee that this will go to, this will keep on happening or keep on going forever. At some point, you just need to comply, right? right? At some point, mm -hmm. um, I expect the data commissioner to um, begin to enforce and say, hey, listen, um, as of this date, we're going to start doing audits. Mm -hmm. And they have mm -hmm. the power to do inspections and audits and all that. So um, I can't say with certainty, I don't have a crystal ball and say that in a year from now, this is what will be happening. But I do expect that gradually we'll begin to see more and more um, tighter um, regulation, you know, or, or implementation of the regulation by the data commissioner. I think we'll begin to see more and more complaints, and we're beginning to see this already being lodged yeah. now that the framework is, is in place mm -hmm. um, in all sorts of contexts. An interesting context will be the employment one, mm -hmm. right, um, where people would perhaps seek redress side by side with a you know employment with an unfair dismissal exactly. claim or right. a constructive dismissal claim. exactly yeah. they'll mm -hmm. probably look to the data commissioner to say hey listen in the manner in which my my personal data was handled was not legitimate in the course of my dismissal yeah interesting questions that arise regarding publications about whether this person about you know an employee no longer being on with, with an and how that information was shared exactly and how that was published mm -hmm. and all that whether there was a lawful basis for that yeah, yeah, yeah. i imagine mm -hmm. Employment lawyers will be very busy from a data protection perspective. Okay. You know, and we're already engaging with stakeholders, the FKE and people like those. Yeah. Um, to discuss these issues. Um, but I do see um, data protection creeping into the employment space a bit more within the next year. I do see an increase in, in uh, complaints within a year. And after a year, I expect to see the data commissioner being a bit more firmer, you know, uh, okay. with, with, uh, with, um, the approach towards enforcement. And so from an advisory perspective for for employment agreements, what would you advise that employers do in terms of, of ensuring that they're in compliance or at least seeking the consent of employees at the beginning for the sharing of information? So is it is it a clause in the employment agreement that needs to be added on data protection? What is it? Absolutely. But even earlier than, you know, even earlier than the employment agreement, um, we need to have a closer look at how we onboard people, how we seek, you know, the recruitment recruitment process basically, how yeah. we seek 
um, job applications, yeah. how we seek job um, applications from candidates and all that, how we store their data, even before we onboarded them as employees. Correct. Right? Because that's personal data that you're collecting. There's still an obligation to notify them, you know, of, this, of certain matters um, at the point of collection, you know, even before they're onboarded as employees. Yeah. So you need to review even job adverts, um, especially the ones that are online. That's the easiest way to provide the privacy notice together with the job um, Advert, advertisement yeah. right? mm. and make sure that um, people who submit their applications for, for, for employment, you know, sort of undertake that they've had a look at this just to cover yourself and there's a record. You know that you didn't just process their personal data. Are we doing that? We're doing that, Jane. <laughs> doing that. I'm in charge. I'm well in charge of our process. That's very good because I'm <laughs> we at CDH are compliant, fully compliant. Amen Let the record that, show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, but all these considerations are relevant. I don't mm-hmm. think people are thinking about them so much. But this is the time to think about yeah. such issues, and and um, that's why it's so important to have these sorts of discussions. You know, sort of off the cuff, sort of a bit informal, where. You know, we can discuss these issues in a light-hearted manner and tease them out, um, but at the same time, draw people's attention to it. Yes, then, the, the whole point is to draw attention so that right. people know what where it affects them in their business and in their day-to-day lives, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And you're doing a wonderful job at it, by the way. Thank you, Chef. Yeah, so I think I think it's something that stakeholders are showing a lot of interest in over the past two weeks. We've been inundated with you know, inquiries about how to go about this process. We're supporting a lot of our clients in this. It's likely to be an ongoing process over yeah. the next couple of months. Um, few teething problems from a technical perspective um, with the website and all that, but we're learning, and the data commission is very supportive. They are, you know, responding to inquiries and, yeah. and, and offering solutions. Great, so I mean, that's great. Is, yeah, this is so, definitely something that's um, going on very well. So we'll watch this space, but in any case, the, you're, you're the expert, and I, I feel very confident in our abilities to protect our clients, mm-hmm. and also in our ability to just decipher the information that um, the, the ODCP will give us uh, and disseminate it to to clients um, so that they can have the information and do yeah. what they can to comply. Absolutely. But thank you, Shem. Um, it's been an excellent conversation as usual. Um, thank you so you much. Are the, you are the, the all hail King Shem. No, 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 no. We're office. all students. We're all learning. <laughs> uh, we learn from each other. It's a new era. Like I said, there are no experts. There is no one who has 10 years experience in uh, data protection. The law is only two years old. I think you're too humble in this. In this. <laughs> I, 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 I have... I have it on good information that people are highly reliant on your knowledge of this space. So thank you very much Shem, for coming to, to share this information with us. You guys, it's been an excellent education. Um, Shem, thank you so much and see you next month.